welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Setzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Sen Institute, and we're excited today to have with us Brad Griffin and Dr. Kara Powell. Kara is the Chief of Leadership Formation and Executive Director of the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Theological Seminary. She was named by Christianity Today as one of 50 women to watch. Kara serves as a youth and family strategist for Orange and speaks regularly at parenting and leadership conferences. Brad is the Senior Director of Content for Fuller Youth Institute. He also develops research-based training for youth workers and parents. He's a speaker, writer, and volunteer youth pastor. He's also the co-author of a dozen books. Brad and Kara's new book together is called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager, Making the Most of Your Conversations and Connections. Uh, Now let's go to our host, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and Executive Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, Ed Stetzer. Well, it's good to uh, be here again, have this conversation, have these kind of conversations. Uh, Before we begin our recording, I let Kara know that her podcast actually on church leaders, you know, Kara was on, well, a while ago, and one of the most listened to podcasts there. And so we actually say, we got Kara and some guy named Brad. And so we're excited about (laughs) both of them, but more excited about Kara. So it is what it is. She's kind of a big deal. She, You know, she has many leather-bound books in her office wow. smells. Of, I've been to her house, not to her office, but yeah. we had they made it, we had a sandwich, so it was very nice. But we're super excited uh, about this conversation. Also, if you go to the show notes, I had Kara on my radio show, Ed Stetzer Live. So if you're interested in doing an interview, that was more geared towards, uh, well, you know, parents, Christian, general Christian audience. This conversation today will be more geared towards... Um, Towards church leaders, as the podcast is called, sets your church leaders podcast. Okay, so Kara, let me start with you, Brad. I'm sorry, I'm going to come to you. I promise, but but Kara, starting with you, it's fine. Not to totally give the book away, <laughs> but uh, but what are the three big questions that every teenager wants to find answers for? Right, and are these new? They basically same questions have always been. Give us a little bit about the book, and uh, again, remind you, it's called. The three big questions that change every teenager making the most of your conversations and connections. So help us with that, Kara. Well, uh, on the long list of what I love about teenagers toward the top is that they have so many questions. They are very curious. They're wondering why, what, and how, and who. Uh, And part of why Brad and I worked with our team to write this book is because of what one 15-year-old verbalized to a, a youth ministry leader when he said this, I wish the church would stop giving me answers to questions I'm not asking. Hmm. Wow. I wish the church would stop giving me answers to questions I'm not asking. So what we wanted to do is figure out what are the questions that young people are really asking? And, And when needed, what are the questions beneath the questions? What are ultimately the deepest questions that young people are navigating. And how can we as church leaders, as parents, as mentors and pastors, how can we point them to Jesus's best answers to those questions? Hmm. Brad, let me ask you, I mean, I know that uh, you direct uh, the content at the Fuller Youth Institute. uh, And as you all did the research, was there anything that jumped out at you that surprised you from your findings? So many things jumped out at us. And I I just want to say it was a huge privilege to sit down with teenagers and listen. I mean, one of the really at the heart of the research 
was listening in up to two hours each interview, um, three interviews each with each student. And Kara and I did these interviews. We had a really great diverse interview team. And part of what surprised us was just how much young people enjoyed the opportunity to be listened to. And I mean, we had students say to us at the end, gosh, I'm going to miss these times to, to just talk. And, and we had students say to us, you know, nobody's really asked me questions like this before. And so one of the surprises for our team was just how much young people need this kind of listening, this kind of focus, you know, they need adults who are asking them intentional questions. And back to what Kara said, just that curiosity about their lives. So uh, that's really one that stands out. I think every time we go back to this was just how important it is to be adults who are listening to actual teenagers, not theorizing yeah. about them off in, a, in the distance. Yeah. So Brad, the, um, you know, just before we, before we came, started the recording, Kara and I were talking about, I, I have in the last month dropped one daughter at a graduate school in Toronto just down the road from where you planted mm -hmm, the church right. um, and the other daughter out in California to do her undergrad. So I have been um, sending off daughters, which has been, um, it's a little a bit more emotionally difficult than I expected. And for Donna and for me both, Donna's, Donna's my wife. Um, and part of that is, you know, with one, we just drove, you know, driving to Toronto is a 12 hour drive. So we rented a U-Haul and drove but for California, we, you know, we made a seven day road trip of it. We, you know, stopped along the way, all the national parks. And, you know, it wasn't like, part of me wanted to be, all right, every day, I want to talk about a new thing with you because I've made a list of things that I need to communicate to you before you go to college. <laughs> but it wasn't like that. And it, it, I think when I was probably, you know, 25, I thought that's what parenting would look like. But it looks like kind of in the course of life, these questions kind of come up and more. And so... We talked about, you know, the three questions that you talked, you know, who am I, uh, where do I fit, what difference can I make? So those are like not, we didn't sit down and say, okay, so who are you? But that was a big part of the conversation. So how do these kind of questions ebb and flow? Again, I, again it's on my mind just because I was on this long road trip. But there's, for a lot of people listening, pastors, church leaders with kids, maybe in their teen years, maybe younger um, they're saying, how do I start having these conversations with my 14 year old? What does that look like? Yeah, I think we don't, none of us want to be the people with big lists and it, Kara and I certainly can, could be accused of that. I like, <laughs> I, do. I just I gotta do. say, I, I like a big list. I like big lists. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where empathy comes into play and really listening. And one of the things we encourage adults to do, whether a parent or a leader and we kind of wear both of those hats is to listen to what's on the surface and then listen for maybe the question that's behind the question and so um you know one of the ways to do that is just to be attentive for well what's this young person what's on their mind right now you know what what's going on today and maybe we have sort of our our softball you know what's new or what's up kind of things i don't know about you but I have trouble getting past that first question, <laughs> when, yeah. especially maybe talking to teenage boys where not to over stereotype, but I might get a one word response <laughs> depending on the kid. Yeah. Is and, it a stereotype if it's demonstrably consistent? <laughs> 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 right. 
I mean, you have, you have. There's boys. evidence I do. supporting. Yeah, I don't. I got all girls, so I don't. I don't know anything about raising. But but you got yeah. like. I've got four. Boys. Well, I've got four boys. But <laughs> I feel like seventeen. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, go ahead, Brad. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I got to say, this is a mixed bag. So in my own household, I have I have two girls and a boy, and. And they're actually all pretty talkative. Um, we are a household of five extroverts, and we, we had oh a yeah, we had an introvert who lived with us for a few years, and it was, I think, the, a special kind of hell for her to just be in this sort yes. of environment. still in therapy, still in therapy at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so my son actually processes outside, out, uh, you know, externally really well. Um, but my, my interactions with teenagers sometimes just sort of get stuck. And so it's learning to ask a question beyond the question. So I find it helpful to have a few phrases in my back pocket, uh, a phrase like, tell me more, mm -hmm. which can just sort of open up a, a little bit more of the conversation, you know, um, well, tell me more, or I wonder what that's been like for you. Wondering questions can be really helpful. Uh, they can sound, they can feel cheesy at first until you sort of get into it. <laughs> I, you know, I find wondering out loud um, helps to not communicate judgment, you know, because often young people feel judgment in our first responses to them. So they might mention something, whether it's something they like or they don't like, uh, for example, or they might mention something that they're frustrated with and our first response can sometimes end up being judgmental because we're responding from our own viewpoint and our own generational perspective maybe and so to wonder out loud with them to invite them to share a little bit more that can sometimes help us get at what's beneath the question or what's beneath kind of what's on the surface uh and so I, I feel like with some of those sorts of conversational tools in our back pocket, we can sometimes get a little further um, in the conversation. And, you know, on that road trip example, I think coming without agendas can be really powerful. And I don't know, I struggle with that sometimes as an adult hmm. to come and just wonder, you know, what is this, what does this kid want to talk about? Um, hmm. What could it be like just to be present to what they want to talk about? That, that question or that that response of tell me more i mean that's really powerful because I, I think it gives your your teenager whoever it is you're talking to the permission to really uh share it from their perspective rather than just give you canned answers and that's that's really a practical way to even just have conversations in the car with your children um Kara, i'm going to go to you because i'm sure uh, at the fuller youth institute um that you all were seeing things culturally uh you probably were already tracking some things um, that prompted, you know, this research in this book. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to the work at Fuller Youth Institute, what were you all seeing that you thought warranted and merited, like, you know, the need to have these interviews? I mean, you interviewed, it looks like 1,200 uh, students, mentors, and uh, parents. And so what was, what was underneath it all? It's so interesting how God unfolds our research progression at FYI. So uh, one of our previous research projects was Growing Young. Uh, and that was a study of churches that aren't aging or shrinking, but are doing amazing work with teenagers and young adults. And we identified six core characteristics of those churches. We studied 250 churches across the U.S. And one of those six characteristics Brad's already named, and that is empathy. These churches were able to, to not judge young people 
which I mean, imagine being a young millennial or a, a member of Gen Z right now and how much those of us over 30 are judging young people, not to judge young people, but to really journey with them. So, so this study, looking at these three big questions, and Ed, I'm glad you've named them, who am I, which is a question of identity, where do I fit, which is a question of belonging, and what difference can I make, which is a question of purpose. It was our attempt to say to any adult, leader, parent, pastor, mentor, grandparent, um, hey, here's how you can ask good questions, how you can follow up with the next question, how, how, how you can know what to say and what to do around young people. So it really, it really bubbled out of our desire to help ourselves and other adults who care about teenagers to empathize. Yeah, I'd like to hear from the both of you because I think this is really important. I, I'm, I'm curious as to, as you did the research, um, did you begin, did you reflect on like how youth ministry is happening right now? Is there anything that's concerning about the current state of youth ministry that maybe this research can speak into and maybe Brad, and then we'll come back to care. Can we say concerning and or encouraging just in and or encouraging. Good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, there's plenty to be concerned about for any of us who care about young people when we consider the trend that we've we've been looking at for more than a decade of young people walking away from God and the church. And it happens before graduation. We started researching it at FYI, looking at the question of why do young people walk away from God and the church after graduation? And that led us to, uh, well, really the work with, with Sticky Faith, um, which now has, has been out 10 years. So that data is a is little really bit wild? old, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and really it was a look at, at millennials. And I would say one of the reasons we really wanted to do this particular study is because a lot of the ways we talk about young people today um, are built on our concerns about millennials and a lot of anxiety in the church about millennials. And, you know, by the way, millennials are starting to turn 40. And so we we've wow. really felt like we needed to look at Gen Z because of some of those concerns about youth ministry, they still remain. And there are concerns about, um, about discipleship. You know, are we really discipling young people in the way that we do youth ministry? Are our models of youth ministry that were built, you know, the last handful of decades, do they really need to be revisited mm -hmm. today? And we think the answer to that is yes. And so yeah. we're trying, you know, this is just one piece of that puzzle. We don't think we have all the answers, but we are really trying to help the church take a new look mm -hmm. at today's young people in, in order to help respond to that in faithful ways as churches and ministries. Uh, Kara, let's talk I'll a little hand, bit about Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about how that might look like. Because I know, you know, the, the, uh, the four-year holding tank with pizza we all would say this did not work well. <laughs> you know, basically hang out here, we'll give you pizza on Friday nights. Um, so what are some of the markers that you've seen, Kara, in some of the research and analysis? Because again, our audience is pastors, church leaders, there'll be a lot of youth pastors listening. What have you seen? Well, I think even before the pandemic, but the pandemic has certainly intensified what we're learning about what works in, in short-term and long-term discipleship. And identity, belonging, and purpose, those are the three big questions. Some of the bright spots that we saw in churches in the last 18 months was they were really tapping into young people's sense of purpose, desire to make an impact. Because for the first time in my 30 years of youth ministry, 
teenagers were not overly busy <laughs> with every extracurricular being canceled with classes being online and, and often ramping down homework a little bit. Kids actually had discretionary time. And so wise youth leaders were looking at their students and saying, okay, how do I help this young person somehow make a difference from home, uh, maybe using technology, whatever it might be, how can they feel like they're contributing to the world? So getting real personal, you know, Ed, you're not the only one who dropped off uh, a student at yep. college. We dropped off our middle. Uh, uh, luckily, she's only 45 minutes from us. So, yeah, I, don't so that helps, I don't want to hear any uh, complaining from yeah. you. I, don't hear <laughs> yeah, I think my yeah, daughter's so closer to you than your daughter's closer. <laughs> to, anyway. I, I think she is. I think I think we passed your daughter's school on the way to my daughter's school. But um but uh it, you know, our high school pastor wisely reached out to her in the midst of the pandemic and said, Hey, can you do social media for our high school yeah. ministry? Because our daughter Krista, she's really good at social media. She's thinking God's maybe calling her to marketing. And so she kind of cobbled together with our youth pastor's help a bit of a social media internship. Um, because he realized, hey, this young person, Krista, my daughter, she wants to use her skills in ways that serve her friends and serve our church and serve our world. So, so we've seen creative youth ministries identify young people's individual passions and gifts and help them move forward in it. Uh, I will say, since Daniel, you asked both about opportunities as well as uh, shortfalls, uh, I think when it comes to belonging, um, there's for me some really challenging new research out of Springtide that I, I just came upon in the last 24 hours. That when they looked at young people across the country, that only 10% of young people during the pandemic uh, had had an adult from a faith community reach yeah. out to them. Wow. 10%. Now, I believe that's all teenagers. I'm trying to get access to the research. I believe that's all teenagers, not just church-going teenagers, but only one out of 10 of students here in the U.S., according to that sample, had an adult reach out to them. But here's the encouraging sign is that teenagers, according to the same research, they now actually have a greater interest in relationship. Oh, wow. So I, I think adults, this is an opportune time. While we're still navigating the pandemic, kids are still not as busy. They're open to new things, new ideas, new experiments. Uh, you know, I want every church to think especially about belonging and purpose. How can we bring those two together, bring kids in community together to make a difference in our world? I think those are some of the cutting edges for love it. And, that's, and I think that's one of the reasons that you guys at Full Years Youth Institute have become such a key voice in some of these conversations. Um, People want data. You mentioned that the research you yeah. just recently saw and others, you know, there's a stat that when I speak at conferences, I talk about research. I say, how many of you heard the stat that 88% of evangelical youth drop out of church after high school, never to return. And it's usually half to two thirds of the pastors and church leaders. Maybe people are listening saying, yeah, I've heard that. And that's, that's actually a fake stat. That's actually a mis yeah. a misquotation of something Tom Rainer did actually. Um, combined with something that the uh, youth ministry did and put out, and they've since retracted. Anyway, all that to say, I mean, there are, it's very difficult to answer the question, blank percent drop out, because so many do yeah. return. We, we saw our data at LifeWay Research, we saw this churn begin 15, 16, and then 17, it's full-on churn. 18, 19, yeah. 20, 21, I think things begin to shift a little bit. Um, We've seen uh, families in faith, you know, uh, Vern B Bankstrom, I think, at the, that Ox mm -hmm. Oxford published mm -hmm. that study, multi-generational mm -hmm. study. Um, we've mm -hmm. seen different research. I mean, so what would you think or say 
to pastors and church leaders who have people come to their church and they say, so what percentage of kids drop out of church? What percent return? I mean, what ballpark numbers do you use based on some of the research and data? Oh, we'll start. We'll go with Kara and then Brad can add to it. Brad can correct yeah. me. Um, so I'll get the ball rolling and then he can correct any of my heresies or any of my misstatements, which is often the role there that he go. plays. So it works well. We're playing to our strengths. Um, so the, as we looked at a compilation of data, Ed, because I think you're right, there's no single study that addresses this for all churches, all denominations, et cetera. But we've looked at Barna and Pew and Gallup and a number of studies. What we tend to say is about 40 to 50 percent. So even there, there's a range. 40 to 50 percent of youth group graduates drift from the faith community after they graduate from high school. Now, you asked a follow up question. What percent return? Um, there's old data that says somewhere up to half will return when they have kids. So tend to get older, married, want to have, want their kids to be exposed to faith formation. Um, I, I say that's old data because I'm not quite sure on what the data is for this generation of young people. But I do know this, that young people are getting married and having kids right. later, often five or more years later. And so, you know, what that tells me is the ruts of a young person's life are even deeper by the time they have that child. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's less than 50% and maybe a lot less than 50% once they have kids get re-engaged in the faith community. But Brad, how would you nuance or correct what <laughs> I just said? <laughs> just to say that, to reaffirm, you know, that's not, we have not done direct research on that. And yeah. we were intrigued earlier this summer by some of the new research that came out from Christian Smith, Richard Flory, and, and others who, who followed up on the National Study of Youth and Religion, which, um, you know, again, was, was with millennials. It started in 2002, 2003, so quite a while ago. But, you know, they looked at trends of, okay, in young adulthood and in the later 20s, how many were returning. And one of the big distinctions that they made, and I don't want to misquote them, so I'm not going to use any percentages, but that they said there's a big difference, kind of roughly, there's a big difference between those for whom religion was totally out of the picture, you know, in, in their early 20s, and between those for whom um, religion was still part of the picture in terms of their level of re-engagement, when they got married, when they had kids, that kind of thing. And, and I think their part of their general reflection was, you know, the more, the more, the further you get away from a faith community, the more likely you are to stay away. And I think that's, um, that's something to pay attention to for all of us is, you know, how, how much are we following up with those young people we know who have drifted? What does that mean? Have we written them off or are we still checking in? Um, do we know what their openness is to being part of a faith community again? Because we might be surprised by the answer. Yeah, Kara, did you, I think maybe Kara had an example. Go ahead, Kara. Well, as Brad was talking, I was thinking about uh, churches that have been very thoughtful and intentional about identity, belonging, and purpose because they're, they're concerned about the drift. And so one comes to mind um, where in the midst of the pandemic, they, they stopped and empathized with their students. They were motivated to do so because students were drifting from Zoom youth group. This was a large church 
a few thousand people overall. It had 200 kids in the youth ministry at the start of the pandemic and three or four months into the pandemic, it was cut in half down to about 100. So that got their attention. They empathized, they listened, and they realized that, that what their young people wanted was belonging. They wanted a sense of belonging. So this church said, you know, we are going to re-emphasize small groups. We have said small groups are important, but if we're honest, we give about 5% of our energy to small groups. We want to give over 90% of our energy to small groups. We want to recruit adults. We want to actually train adults to be the small group leaders that kids need. Um, and so they, they doubled down on small groups because they knew their young people wanted a sense of belonging. Well, it turns out that youth ministry that had gone from 200 to 100, it's now at about 400 kids who are involved in small groups um, because, again, they stopped, they listened, and then they pivoted and adjusted. And so, you know, as a parent myself, I'm just more and more looking at young people and ministry and my own kids through the lens of identity, belonging, and purpose. And that's what we want church leaders to start thinking. How do I, how do I offer God's truth about identity, belonging, and purpose? What are my people wrestling with, with identity, belonging, and purpose? How do we disciple towards Jesus's best answers for identity, belonging, and purpose? So uh, they've started to become the lenses through which I view so much of my world and my interactions. And I feel like I've seen a whole new level of depth and connection when I do that. Yeah. Well, I like to talk about a really difficult subject that I think a lot of parents and, and uh, church leaders have to deal with, and that's um, young people that are in the midst of deconstructing their faith or they've already deconstructed it. Uh, as a matter of fact, this morning I had breakfast with a local church pastor, and this was the, the topic of our discussion. And, and uh, you know, I, I feel like Gen Xers, you know, like Ed, and um, I would be in that that camp too. I'm 41, so, but there is there was. Um, a sense in which when they left or deconstructed the faith, I feel like the it was a bit more quiet. But now we, but now with millennials, there's hashtag movements, right? There's a podcast uh, called Exvangelicals, and there's books being written. There's an anthology on um, exvangelicalism, and so um, millennials tend to leave loud. And from that regards, um, and I think as a parent of teens and young adults myself. I'm constantly asking myself, how can I be empathetic in uh, helping them to ask questions that uh, really get to the to their content that is most um, relevant for their own struggles? I'm, I'm wondering what you would say to our listeners um, about how to help teens face the current, but also the future challenges uh, to their faith. Let's do that to uh, Brad. Well. I want to start with, I think it's on us in the older generations to not be afraid of their hard questions. And, you know, of course, we like questions. We just wrote a book about questions. <laughs> um, but to take even, you know, a, a bigger step up in terms of sort of the arc of our own research, um, one of the things that really stood out to us in the Sticky Faith research was that around 70% of young people in high school youth groups reported they had real questions about God and faith, but only about a quarter of those voiced those questions or doubts to anyone. Wow. Wow. And those who did feel like they had a safe place to share their questions, to share their doubts, they actually tended to have uh, you know, more faith maturity. They tended to stick with faith. And so, 
that was something that, I mean, we began to say, maybe it's not questions that are toxic to faith. I'm sorry, maybe it's not doubts that are toxic to faith. Uh, it's silence. And I think we can promote that silence when we shut down those questions, when we shut down those critiques. Uh, I, um, I like the way you say, you phrase it, you know, that millennials leave loud. Um, that, that's, I'm going to sit with that for a little bit. But that's so, that's so real. And part of what they're seeing is their peers are leaving loud. Um, they're, right. you know, others are speaking up and they're not afraid to voice the questions. And so I do think it's on us to be open, um, open receptacles to hear those questions, to take those critiques and to, again, to say, tell me more and to sit with that. And also to say, you know, hey, I'd love to talk about that more. Um, I'd love to share my own perspective. You know, I, I'd love to hear and look together at what it means for us to follow Jesus in today's world with today's problems and questions. And maybe there's more than one way to be a Christian in the midst of this. I think that's in my conversations with teenagers, that's part of what I hear them wanting to hear. You know, they, they want to hear, well, is there only one way to be a, a Christian? Is there only one right answer to all these hard questions that we have? Um, or is there room for, in particular, is there room for me? And is there room for our generation in this dialogue? And I think we're going to see a lot more openness and receptivity among young people if they feel like they have a seat at the table where, where their very real and in many cases very legitimate questions and critiques can be heard. Yeah, and I, I think it's important that, you know, we talk about different ways to follow Jesus. Um, you know, they, they may have a critique that we have missed in our understanding of culture or context. And and they may point us to say, you know, you know, here's this this might be a better way to live this biblical teaching out, for example. Then, so I, I think that's helpful. Kara, one of the things that you and I even talked about when we were together is that it's a little weird, too, because we don't want to talk about our kids. You know, it's not our kids' lives or our kids' lives. But you've been open in the past sharing some ways that you kind of how you engage doubts and conversations with your own kids. You're a church leader, prominent Christian leader, a lot of church leaders, pastors, youth pastors, whatever. Um, how would you encourage and to the degree you're comfortable share how maybe you engage your own kids' struggles and doubts? Yeah, so our kids, Dave and I, our kids are now 15, 18, and 20. And two of the questions that we find most helpful, which are actually in our book, uh, building on what Brad just said, is to ask our kids, usually one at a time, when we're in the car with them or have a more relaxed meal, whatever it might be, uh, we like to ask this. First of all, um, what do you now believe about God or life that you think I don't believe? And then the inverse, what do you no longer believe about God or life that you think I still believe. So what do you now believe that you think I don't believe? And what do you no longer believe that you think I still do believe? And part of what I love about those questions is it implies that our faith is going to keep growing. And as our faith grows, it's going to change. And it makes it more permissible to talk about our differences. So our kids, and I'm sure I'm the only adult who experiences only. this, but our kids are a little are a little more progressive on cultural issues uh, than I am. And I say that sarcastically because most parents I know are experiencing that with their kids. And so, you know, I want us to be able to talk about the differences that we see, how we're interpreting scripture, 
with very contemporary issues. I'd, I'd far rather open that can of worms than keep that can of worms shut and have it just fester. Yeah. So, and, and I think there's freedom as a parent or a pastor in knowing we don't have to answer every one of students' questions. I mean, God is God. If we could fully explain God, I don't think God would be God. Um, there are some elements about God that are wholly other. And so, you know, I think that's part of the beauty of having conversations uh, about our differences or about young people's doubts is uh, another phrase that Brad and I have found really helpful is just these few words, I don't know, but. Um, so when that young person asks you a tough question, your own kid, a kid you're mentoring, you know, why would God allow the suffering? Let's just take of the pandemic. Why would God allow this global death? Like I, I have a PhD, I've been at 26 grades of school and I can't give a foolproof answer to that question. And so, you know, my, my answer would be, well, I don't know, but here's what I do know about God. Or I don't know, but here's uh, here's a book that you and I can read together. And then let's talk about it with, with a pastor who I know is really involved in these kinds of discussions. So, so those Ed, are some of the, the the questions and the conversation openers that I've tried to use. With Love it. I, I'd also too, if I could add to that, is I would also recognize that a uh, a 17 year old, I have, I have a 17 year old, I have a 16 year old about to turn 17. A 17 year old is gonna be a different place to be able to struggle with some of the questions than a 22 or 23 year old. And I can just tell you from personal experience. And when they're asking questions at 17 and then they actually worked, you know, you have enough conversations to walk through some of those things. It's sometimes a different place. So don't panic when you're, when yeah. your kids have questions, there's an overwhelming cultural tide out there yeah. and uh, it's going to take some time for them to learn and to be able to walk through and even respond to some of those issues as, as well. Um, let, let me ask this, um, are, you know, our audience, pastors, ministry leaders, if our listeners were to take away one thing from our conversation today, because again, it's not so much a general Christian audience like we did on, on the radio show, Kara, but I'm going to ask both of you, what would you want them to take away? Maybe it'd be different. We'll start with Kara, then we'll go to Brad. So Kara, what would be the one thing you want to take away? Yeah. You know, I think... Thinking is a good thing. And I wish... I think, I think what I would say is this, because I, I wanted to I wanted to bring up something that I have we haven't talked about yet. So here's what I would say. As much as I said, I'm trying to look at young people through the lens of identity, belonging, and purpose, I'm also trying to look at myself <laughs> through the lens of identity, belonging, and purpose, and my own journey. And what I find is if I feel heat about a particular issue, it's normally because something is being stirred in my own identity, belonging, and purpose. And so, you know, Ed, I appreciate how you shared candidly about taking two girls to college and grad school has been even harder than you reckon with. And yeah. yeah. And so I think then that causes me to wonder, gosh, I wonder, I wonder what Ed and his wife are experiencing yeah. when it comes to your identity, your sense of belonging and your sense of purpose, which is only natural that we're going to have new questions in these major transitions. So, you know, we really want leaders to be self-aware and so, uh, you know, the more self-aware we are, the more whole and we can be in our interactions with all generations. And so I think that's the last thing I would say is look, look at young people through identity, belonging and purpose, but then hold up the mirror and think about that for yourself. I love it, Brad. I'm going to give you the, the last word, but I do want to say that while we're sitting here, my daughters have texted me and said, let's all do a family FaceTime tonight. And so I'm so excited. I get to see them all together. <laughs> so I apologize for just interrupting our, our podcast for this, but- 
They love. There they still go. love us. They love you. <laughs> Yay! They they want to be with you. Exactly. Yay! My youngest created a uh, a little chat group called the Remainders. Oh yeah, because we're the wow. Remainders. Just the three of us. <laughs> the other two have gone. Anyway, sorry, Brad. I just need a moment here. I'm a little verklempt. So, Brad, um, what, what 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 one thing would you want to uh, for our listeners to take away, particularly the audience of pastors and church leaders that we minister to? A colleague of ours has said that being heard is so close to being loved that for most people, they're almost the same thing. Wow. And I think as a, as a leader and as a parent, I often think I've heard someone, maybe especially a young person, and I really haven't heard them. And part of what I... It, Kara and I are so obsessed with identity, belonging, and purpose because we really feel like the more we lean in and listen, and we listen for what's below the surface, we see these questions bubbling up everywhere. And I have seen that it sometimes makes the difference between being heard and not being heard. You know, when we really are listening and when we really can understand that what they're really after, what they're str- actually wondering about, struggling with, that that they feel loved. And that is what it means to belong in the body of Christ, is to know that you're loved. It's what it means to belong in a family, is to know that you're seen and you're loved. And so I would just encourage all of us to really listen and, and to, to pause and listen again. Yeah. You know, we probably have a lot of listeners uh, listening right now, church leaders, uh, that this topic uh, makes them anxious. Uh, Kara, where can people go uh, if they want to learn more resources about your work uh, and to, help, to to alleviate some of that anxiety that they feel around this conversation? Great question, Daniel. So if you go to 3bigquestionsbook.com, that's the number 3bigquestionsbook.com. We have a free book chapter that anybody can download as well as a host of other resources to help uh, pastors, parents, mentors, grandparents know what to do and what to say around young people. So please visit our website. Fantastic. We'll be sure to drop that in our show notes. Again, the book is called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. We've been talking with Brad Griffin and Dr. Kara Powell of the I Fuller say, Youth Brad, Institute. Brad was way better than you said he would be. Oh, <laughs> he blew me away. <laughs> you were real skeptical of Brad, but I wasn't. I said, let's let's have Brad here. Awesome. Sorry, I'll, I'll take it, Ed. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. You can also check out more of the work at fulleryouthinstitute.org. Uh, thanks for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews like this one as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com. And if you found this conversation helpful today, we'd love for you to take a few moments, go to iTunes, leave us a review. That's going to help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. You can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based products on the Faith Play app available for both Apple and Android. Thanks for Android. joining us. Do you use Android? I do use Android. Okay. Well, we're breaking up right now, so no more podcasts with Daniel again. Thanks, everyone. For we'll listening. see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.